from their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Yes, and welcome to the Boomer and the Babe Show, coming to you from sunny, warm Arizona. It is 11 o'clock in Phoenix, 10 o'clock on the West Coast, and 1 in the afternoon on the East Coast, where I hope people are enjoying their lunches or have enjoyed their lunch. At any rate, we're glad that you're here with us today. We're waiting for our guests to call in. But in the meantime, uh, we want to talk to you a little bit about what else we do here as part of the Boomer and the Babe Network. This is, after all, produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated, uh, which owns the Boomer and the Babe Network. Uh, We broadcast here on the Blog Talk platform. We're very very proud to announce that we are a featured show on Blog Talk, and we are in the staff picks this last uh, day or so. We've been one of the staff picks by the Blog Talk people, and a nice write-up about us has been, uh, and about this show that we're going to be doing today, uh, was in the staff picks box that you can see uh, all over the Blog Talk Network uh, website. So uh, anything you want to know about the Boomer the Babe itself, the Boomer the Babe show, Boomer the Babe network, you can get to by going to boomerandthebabe.com. That's boomerandthebabe.com. Uh, find information in there about the ebooks that we publish, the information about the mini books that we publish, and also there will be information in there on how you can contact us via our email and also sign up for our newsletter, which is Boomer Experience Speaks. Uh, we hope that you'll do that. It's uh, something that's written by many people that have been guests on the show. Some of our other show hosts have articles in there that appear from time to time. And it's all good information, regardless of your age, but put to you, uh, put down uh, in the e- ebook format, or I'm sorry, the email online magazine format from the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated. Uh, Deborah does most of that work, and I'm Pete Peters, and I'm here by myself today. This is not new. I've been here by myself on several occasions, and uh, we're going to be having Deborah more frequently in uh, upcoming shows. She's clearing some things off her schedule so that she can be back on the radio with me. Makes my job a little bit easier when she's here also. We have a little more conversation and a little more uh, diverse opinion when she's here because everybody has something to say, and she is no different than the rest of us. All that being said, I can see that our guest is here. I'll click her on and bring her on the line right now. Our guest is Emily Waringa. Emily, how are you today? I'm good, thanks, Pete. How are you? Oh, very good. Thank you very much. I'm glad you could get in here all right. Uh, I trust you didn't have any problems coming in on Skype? Um, Actually, I just used an old-fashioned telephone. I couldn't use it, so it's okay. (laughs) Okay, very good. Well, uh, Emily has written a book, and the name of the book is Chasing Silhouettes. And we're going to find out what Chasing Silhouettes is all about and why she wrote it and so on. So um, I'm certainly glad she's here. Emily, why don't you do what uh, we ask all of our guests to do, and that is to give us a quick summary of who Emily Wairinga is. Uh, First of all, am I pronouncing that right? Uh, pretty close, yeah, Weringa. Weringa, okay. Yeah, yeah. 
It's a Dutch name. I'm married to a Dutch man who's a math teacher. I'm the mother of two little boys and a foster mother to two more. Um, I'm a, an author, an artist, and a former anorexic. So that's my summary. I'm also a pastor's daughter. Okay. Well, I think all of that, based on what I read with the synopsis of what your PR people sent me, uh, that's all part and parcel of what we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I guess maybe the place to start is that you were homeschool. Pa- you're a homeschool pastor's daughter, and you weren't allowed to play with Barbies or to dance or some of those other things. So uh, that probably had something to do with shaping your uh, your way of looking at things. So why don't you kind of touch base about those things with us? Okay, well, it's always hard, you know, because I don't want to blame my parents. They were just trying, you know, their best. They're very uh, strong Christian people who, um, and I was the eldest child. Um, so a lot of experiments, are, like the eldest child is the guinea pig, right? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I know, they, I know. <laughs> and I'm a mom now. I know how hard it is to parent. So for all of you parents out there, I'm not saying an eating disorder is your fault at all, but we all play our part. Um, I had moved ten times before the age of seven because of my dad's job in ministry, moved everywhere from Africa to Europe to Canada, um, really had no roots. I was homeschooled, so very lonely. Um, and my parents were extremely strict, so I didn't have any choices at home. Um, they even read my diary, which, you know, a lot of parents do do, I guess, but, you know, just no sense of self. I didn't have any sacred space. And so I I realized one day that I could control the amount of food that I put into my body, and that's when it started. I had no idea about eating disorders, knew nothing about that uh, dieting or anything. My parents were very good about not... um, talking about weight um they did however have kind of a morbid shame over their bodies and over vanity and just a fear so that made me wonder why is it so bad to want to be beautiful so that also led me astray (laughs) well i you said a couple of interesting things there that I'd, I'd, i'd like to um explore a little bit further uh you said that they read your diary uh I remember uh growing up I had a sister that I I think she had some kind of a diary I I don't even know for sure but the diary was meant to be primarily her information her thoughts that she kept to herself and that I don't know that my parents or my mother in that particular instance would ever have read that diary uh I think my daughter ha- I think my daughter had some sort of a diary or a journal if you will. Uh I know I've never read it. I don't know if her mother did or not. Uh but I I've, I've never read it and I do know my granddaughter loves to journal and loves to write everything down. But there seems to have been a gradual change in things over the years. Once the diary was very very personal But now the diary is something that parents want to see because they want to know what these kids are thinking about, what they're getting into, and maybe they can't find it any other way. I've seen this type, these types of shows on television, and and uh, and I'm wondering if uh, that was what your your parents were doing. Um, I think so. You know, I don't think again that they were trying to um, hurt me at all. They were just worried, you know, worried 
also I was a very sad child, very quiet. Um, and so they were reading my journal to know what was going on inside my head, which I totally get. You know, it's a, a scary thing to be a parent and not be able to control things about your kids. But you have to just, especially depending on your child's love language, um, you kind of have to let go and just trust God a little more. Um with their feelings and their thoughts and just show them a little respect. Now, it depends. If you're really worried about them, if you think that they're, you know, doing drugs or hanging out with the wrong people, I totally get, you know, checking out their Facebook page or, you know, but <coughs> maybe tell them, you know, be like, I just walk into their bedroom and say, honey, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned. Can I please know what's going on? It's It's a sad thing when we have to you know, kind of stalk our kids to understand them. We should have such an open communication that we don't need to do that. Now, are are your parents still with you today? Yes, my we're actually very good friends today, and uh, it's largely to do with my mom battling brain cancer for eight years, and I actually moved home during that time to take care of her. So, yeah, I really feel our relationship has been redeemed. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, I was just wondering if this was something that uh, uh, they were aware of, uh, the book Chasing Silhouettes, and uh, mm. whether whether they're uh, whether they're fully involved in uh, oh in, in in the book. Yes, I actually interviewed them for the book. I interviewed my siblings as well, just to provide the parents' perspective and the siblings' perspective. I interviewed eating disorder professionals. Um, and I also supply uh, sample prayers. So it's a, a spiritual book, you know, one to help parents who are just struggling to know, you know, how to pray for their kids. Um, and I just wanted to kind of give the full perspective. I also provide the anorexics or the eating disordered person's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually include my husband's perspective as well because I did relapse as a young married woman. Now, is this something... Um I, I know nothing about anorexia, uh, mm. I, I, other than what I've heard and and seen on on the news. And obviously, uh, there have been some very well known people that have suffered uh, the disease. Uh, first of all, it is a disease, correct? Mm-hmm. I would say it's a mental illness. I don't think it's a disease. Uh, it's an illness. Yeah, um, because it is something that you can. Uh, choose to recover from uh, a disease more you can't choose to recover from it right like but an illness um you know and it depends i would say you know as a child it's harder to have that control as an adult you you know what you're doing you when i relapsed i knew that i was choosing to starve myself so you know as a child you're more using it as a way to cope and you really have no idea what you're getting into mhm mhm when you were making the conscious choice as a, as a young adult, uh, what was going through your mind? Um, I was angry. I had, well, first of all, I had battled anorexia for four years, so from 9 to 13, ages 9 to 13. And I, I did get so bad that I was hospitalized at the end of it, and uh, 60 pounds, 5 foot 6, and nurses were amazed that I was still alive and they said I was a miracle and so that kind of woke up my faith life I believed in God suddenly I believed all this stuff my dad had said to me over the years 
you know, I I believed I had a purpose. And so high school was wonderful. I didn't ever address, though, the issues that had caused the anorexia, you know, dealing with authority figures in my life, dealing with the resentment towards my parents, all that. Um, I just kind of started dating and having fun. And then I went, when I got engaged to my current husband, I went to the Middle East for six months um, uh, to teach English and do some missionary work. And I just kind of let things go. I just trusted God while I was there, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to eat whatever people put in front of me because it's rude not to when you're over there. And at the end of it, someone made a comment about my weight. They said, you've you've put on weight since you came. And I immediately dropped the sandwich I was eating and, and fell back into anorexia. I was mad. I was so angry at God for letting me down. I felt he had let me down. Um, and just realized you have to have some kind of control over your eating. You can't just let it all go. It's not like I had gained tons of weight, but, you know, it was still hard to hear. So I went back, and my husband married a different person. He married someone who was angry and still battling all the issues she had when she was a kid. So, so when, when you went, now let me get this chronology correct. When you were traveling in the Middle East and you had this weight Gain, correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, you were you married at that time? No, I was engaged. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> all right, I, I missed, I That's missed okay. that 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 part of it. Uh, so you came back and you were a different person physically and mentally than when you had left. I would imagine. That's right. I wanted kids when I left, and I didn't want kids when I came home because getting pregnant would mean gaining weight and losing control over your body, right? So that's a really hard thing for a man to deal with. Uh, And my husband didn't learn all this until after he married me. Um, So for the next three years, we went through a really hard time. Um, And uh, at the end of those three years, he gave me an ultimatum. He said, Emily, it's between me and food. I can't do this anymore. And he was scared for me. And I did choose him. And we, uh, I I was sick of being sick. And we uh, moved to Korea and just started things over. We taught English and just I learned to love food over there and to and then my mom was so sick that I actually moved home three months before my contract ended while my husband finished up in Korea and I started taking care of her and that's when issues from my childhood began to be dealt with and I was able to forgive my parents and realize they loved me in spite of everything. So. So this this whole process of um, anorexia, then uh, I'm going to suggest uh, moving on, but not because you had cleared it, but because you had buried it, mm. uh, and, and then it reared its head because you hadn't cleared it before. It reared its head again at a later time under different conditions and different stresses. Mm. Um, is, is that an accurate statement? Yeah, that's right. I buried it. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes it's just a need for moving on. You're so young, you know, and uh, you just don't have the maturity to be able to deal with it at the time. So you do have to recognize if you've struggled with disordered eating that it will rear its head again and again and again. (laughs) But you need to have the tools to deal with it when it does rear its head. And that's something counseling can really help with. something my faith really helps me with so yeah don't be scared when you are faced with those temptations it's kind of like a recovering alcoholic right you you're always recovering 
you know, if you can't ever really go back into a bar uh, and <laughs> have a drink because it's just it's a mental illness. So, so how do you how do you face it now at this at this stage in your life? Uh, how, how do you face the fact that it's uh, I'm going to correct me if this is is wrong, but it's just just around the corner again, correct? Based mm-hmm. on what you just said, how do you how do you face that? Well, I have to say that once you do get pregnant and experience the mir- uh, the miracle of birth, you realize your body is, you know, destined for something much more than the mirror. You realize you're destined to give birth and to give life, and this changes your whole perspective dramatically. I'm not saying pregnancy is the key at all. But it does help, and it did help me. Um, I learned to be an intuitive eater, so to listen to my body and to kind of understand what it wants and when it wants and to trust it more. So if it was screaming steak, it needed protein, right? Or if it really wanted eggs, maybe. And it's just so clear when you're pregnant. It just helps me understand that my body knows what it needs and I can trust it. I'm not saying I... I don't still struggle. Um, I don't have waist scales in the house. I don't have fashion magazines. I don't have a lot of mirrors. Um, I try and just, you know, focus on being positive towards myself, having positive thoughts, praying my way through the day, and just um, looking at food differently, just appreciating it. So is is the illness um, one of uh, a feeling of no self-worth? Is it a feeling of uh, desperation? Uh, is it a feeling of um, uh, just being lost in your surroundings? Well, maybe I can relate it to, like a lot of men struggle with binge eating, which is another form of disordered eating. So, you know, if you've had a really crummy day at work, you know, you might come home and just, you don't want to talk to anyone, you just kind of want to lose yourself in a bag of potato chips or, you know, even a beer and some nachos, whatever. You, you kind of lose yourself in the food. You use food as a means of escape. And that's all anorexia is, except you're taking food out of the equation and you're using starvation as a means of escape. So you're kind of numbing the pain. So whatever it is, you're not dealing with the problem, right? You're using food to kind of escape, um, if that helps. Uh, so actually 75% of women do struggle with disordered eating, but that doesn't mean they have eating disorders. It just means they don't have a healthy relationship with food. And we often use it uh, to replace um, the tools that we need to deal with the problem. Mm-hmm. So is, uh, is it, do, do, you, do you feel better uh, when, you're, when you're suffering suffering through the anorexia and you're not eating? Does it does it make you feel better? Do you actually feel better, like a runner's high or something like mm-hmm. that? That's exactly it. You get, you know, like anything, like drugs or alcohol or cutting yourself, whatever you use to numb the pain, you've got that those endorphins, right, that just kind of say, you know, the honeymoon stage where you're like, oh, my goodness, this is great. I don't have to deal with my problem. Um, I'm losing weight, you know, and, yeah, like, but then all of a sudden, the eating disorder becomes just that. It's no longer a diet. It's an eating disorder. It takes over you. All you're doing is thinking about food. You you can do nothing else but serve this eating disorder, and it becomes your identity. So that's why it's so hard for people to recover 
from an actual clinical eating disorder like bulimia nervosa or anorexia nervosa because it becomes them. And to take it away means you take them away, and they, they don't know who they are without it. So it's scary. You mentioned anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa. What's mm-hmm. the difference between the two? Okay, anorexia nervosa is when you starve yourself for the purpose of losing weight. And bulimia nervosa is when you binge, so you eat an exorbitant amount of food in a very short period of time, like like cakes, entire cakes and bags of cookies and all that within like a, a period of under two hours, and then you purge it. So you're stuffing the emotions with all this food, and then you're purging all the guilt by by getting all the food back up. So both are really unhealthy ways of dealing with problems. <laughs> Uh, I have a, a, a friend that I have lost track of many, many, many years ago that was um, uh, was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. uh, or is an alcoholic, I'm imagining, if he's still alive, and I do not know if he's still alive, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, he's an alcoholic, and uh, he got caught uh, absconding with some funds from where he worked, and he went on a binge, and he was in, they found him in a uh, what is commonly sometimes called a flop house in Las Vegas, uh, in a drunken stupor, and all the money gone, mm-hmm. and he turned him, and he turned himself in, um, and he served time, and he served time in prison, and he came out of prison uh, a, a changed, a quote changed person. Uh, he had uh, found religion in prison, as many people seem mm-hmm. to do uh, nowadays, and uh, he was no longer involved in the consumption of alcohol. And he he said that it was probably primarily due to the fact that he had found God. Um, however, he found food, hmm. and and food became his substitute. And this man ballooned to a huge size. Hmm. And uh, shortly after I saw him, uh, that was many many years ago already. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know whatever happened to him. But he, I mean, he was just gargantuan. Hmm. And and. Uh, and it just substituted one for the other. Mm-hmm. Um, do people substitute something for mm-hmm. uh, anorexia, as an example? Do mm-hmm. you find, have, have you substituted something for anorexia? Uh, what, what is that like for you? That's an excellent question. Um, you know what? Uh, often the reason for people substituting, which they do, is because it's a... Uh, you have a predisposition, a biological predisposition towards this illness. So you have a tendency towards perfectionism or, you know, just depression or anxiety. And so even though you deal with uh, actual illness, you you still are struggling with those traits, those human traits. And unless you have someone to go to, like I have... Um, you know, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I have him. But unless you have a divine help, you you will always struggle with those human traits. Those are things that are not going away. So, yeah, you will substitute alcohol for food or, you know, for I have been battling OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, and just recently have been praying over it, just realizing, you know what, this is a human crutch. I always blame things on my OCD. Oh, I'm just OCD. But I realized, no, this is something that is hindering me, imprisoning me, and I, I need to let it go. I can't do anything about it. But if you believe you have a creator or some a higher power, uh 
he can do something about it. So it's again, we all have these human traits that we have to deal with every day. Um, and unfortunately, we can maybe tame them or bury them, but they will rear their heads if we don't um, deal with them in a spiritual manner. So now, now you are saying that you're dealing with it in a spiritual manner is what has helped you through uh, this this trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, how do other people uh, deal with it uh, that may not be of the same mind that you are mm-hmm. with regard to religion or spirituality? Well, I think you know we're all spiritual beings having a human experience. Now, whether or not that means we believe in Christianity or whatever we believe in, you know, I'm, obviously I'm not speaking to the atheists out there, but everyone else, um, you know, you have some form of belief. And so um, while I would say that I would really encourage you to seek uh, Jesus, if you don't want to do that, you seek whatever you believe in. So, um, and do this by meditation, yoga, you know, going for long walks, just quieting your soul. We live in such a hurried world. There's no time for quiet, and you can't hear, uh, you can't hear anything beyond yourself unless you quiet down. And that's the key, I believe, to inner peace and just finding this rest, this purpose, this meaning outside of ourselves that we're all longing for. So people could use such things as yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, any anything along those lines might be where they find their their solitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can find my solitude on a golf course. Mm-hmm. I could go play golf. What a great excuse to play golf! I don't want to <laughs> eat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but, but seriously i mean there are any number of activities i mean people exercise uh people do jazzercise you know what anything yeah. and and they substitute a lot of those things for the eating disorder but isn't it dangerous that they can mm-hmm. be become compulsively in the other direction well that's uh, in, in, the thing. engaged that's in the other direction like I do run, but I only run uh, 20 minutes a day, and I always take Sundays off. Now I'm obviously that seems kind of regimented, but I um, I find peace when I run. I pray when I run. That's my time when I pray. So mm-hmm. I, I keep it in my life, but I always have to ask: Is this helping me or hurting me? And if you're over exercising, if you're spending too much time on the golf course and not with your family, you know, whatever, just don't take things to the extreme. And make sure when you're doing it that your mind is centered on that higher power or God. Just like then you won't go astray. It's like it's a mental battle. It's a mental illness. So the key to whatever you're doing is finding that peace so you can go back to your life and continue it in a healthy and wholesome way. Continue to fight the battle of life. That's right. Because yeah. <laughs> it can be that. Uh, what other keys uh, can you tell us about that have helped you along the way, or when you've when you've uh, when you've had something that is upsetting to you? What do you do at that particular moment if you're saying, "Oh, I want to go. I want. I want to go. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to don't want to eat, or I want to do that. You know, whatever whatever it mm-hmm. might be. What what are what are some of the keys that might that might absolutely that you could use? People use a rubber band around their wrist and they snap the rubber band. I mean, do you have mm-hmm. anything like do you have anything like that that brings you back? I have my husband, 
It's really important to have someone in your life that cares so much about you that will keep you accountable. He is someone who has never worried about his weight. Um, he eats what he wants to, but he eats it in moderation, and he loves food. He's a farmer, a farmer's kid, so he's grown food his whole life, and he sees what a gift it is. So I guess it's important to have someone that lightens you up, that helps you see the, the more joyful side of life. Like, he gets upset at me when I have Cheerios without strawberries on them. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, it's just food. I just have to get through it. And he's like, no, you have, it's food. You get to enjoy it. And so someone that just really changes your perspective because we can't do this life alone. And if you have no one, there are so many online groups that um, are geared towards helping people with disordered eating or OCD or whatever you're going through. I'd like to recommend FindingBalance.com, which my friend runs. Um, there are so many groups, but just check them out. Make sure they're not leading you astray either. You want to know what they believe. Well, some of the groups, I, I, mean, I, I don't speak from experience other than here again, what I've heard and what I've seen in the news and so on. Some of the groups can tend to, or they will profess to do one thing, but they're really borderline cultish. Mm-hmm. And and they really don't do any good all except for their own purse and their own mm-hmm. pocketbook. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, there are many free groups that I would encourage you to join. <laughs> Right. Well, you know exactly. And in the event of uh, alcoholics, uh, people playing that. I mean, there's uh, there's AA, which is uh, I I'm I don't know if it's free or not, but I'm assuming it's at certainly moderate cost, if mm-hmm. if not free. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are support groups, and that's exactly what they are is is support because that sounds like the key to what you're talking about is support. Yeah, you need community, and that's also what their faith relationship provides, is just someone who understands you, can hear you. You can pray to them and just dump it all on them. I've had times when I have so badly wanted to control my eating that I've actually been shaking. And I know that sounds crazy, but you're just so stressed and you're so done with life that you, that's your fallback, you know, you're... That's what, how you know how to cope. Like, so you actually just have to kind of just sit there. You don't trust yourself. You can't go in. You just have to pray your way through it or talk to somebody, whatever you're comfortable with. But I really had to pray that day and listen to positive music. Um, you, it's an illness, you know, and I, it's, I'm ashamed. I, I, I am ashamed that I have to deal with this. But at the same time, you know, God uses our brokenness to help other people, and that's what he's doing. So don't don't suffer in that shame. Don't feel this pity. Just realize that God has a greater purpose for you or your higher power or whatever you believe has a greater purpose for you, and you can use this pain to help other people. The situation has to be frightening, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to feel, to, to know that... Um, not not that you not that you have to ask for the help from whatever means, but the fact that you have to ask for the help can be frightening. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, and it's humbling, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't like to admit that we need help, uh, but there comes a point when everyone needs help, and we're all there for each other. That's the purpose of this life is to help each other. So, if you need it, just ask for it. There's bound to be someone who who just desperately wants to help you. Well, that's all. That's good information. Certainly, good information. Uh, what What else is there that, as far as uh, your message that's in the book, or your message that you, Emily, like to make sure that people understand and know, uh, other than what we've talked about, is there is there anything else that uh, 
uh, that you'd like to have people hear you hear from you? Well, if you're a parent watching your loved one go through an eating disorder, or you're concerned about them, you're just not sure, um, the book does deal with the four different stages of an eating disorder, so recognizing it, uh, reacting to it, recovery, how to help your loved one through the recovery, and then renewal, which is for the loved one as well, to know how to walk daily through your you know, mental illness and how to live with it and how to raise children through it and you know, I'm not saying you can't be recovered from it, but you're always recovering as well, so you just have to be aware of your triggers. So there's that um, that I'd like to say. And then there's also the fact that you're not alone. Um, you're not. And, it feels, and you're not to blame. You have had a responsibility in this, but maybe it's bullying at school that's causing your child to react. And you need to, or maybe it's sexual abuse. Something has happened. You need to ask. You need to... And like I said, just knock on that bedroom door and ask them to come in. If they don't let you come in, sit outside that bedroom door until they let you in. Buy them flowers, whatever it takes. If it's a boy that's struggling, obviously his love language will be different. But a recent study just showed that uh, 20% of anorexics are male. So our boys are struggling too. There's a lot of pressure on them to be fit and to look a certain way. And and above all, love yourselves as parents so that your your kids see you treating yourself with this love and this respect don't treat others poorly like talking about their weight or their size or their appearance don't keep weight scales if you think it's a trigger for your kids you know don't go on diets around your kids or talk about your diets at least you know try and eat healthily try and do the intuitive eating it's intuitiveeating.org is the website um Oh, there's just so much. But, yeah, it is in my book, Chasing Silhouettes, uh, which you can find at ChasingSilhouettes.com. Give, give me those four uh, steps. Okay. There's Again, rec- please. Recognizing is the first stage. So how to know if your loved one has an eating disorder. Um, then there's reacting, how to react when they're kind of just blinded by it all and not sure what they're doing and not wanting help. And then there's recovery, when your loved one decides they want to get better, how to help them, or if they're at an emergency stage, if you just have to enforce recovery on them, how to do that. And then renewal, once they've recovered technically, once they've gained the weight, how to help them renew their mind every day, um, how to live in that healing and that wholeness. Uh, now, how old is your, your daughter? Is that you have a daughter, correct? No, I have two sons. Um, oh, two sons, I'm sorry. I, I, that's okay. There's three uh, and I, one. Three and one. Yeah. Now, now, what what are your intentions as a parent? Uh, you know, we all we all learn from our history. We all learn from our past. Um, I'm going to venture to say that what you learned from your parents is something that you may not want to repeat in some levels um, with your with your boys. But what uh, what are your plans for them to help them avoid these potential pitfalls? Well, that's a really good question, and it's something I'm still working through. I try and help them understand when they're full and when they're hungry and to provide healthy alternatives for them for when they're full and hungry. But I don't keep treats or sugary things away from them because then, you know, they'll just rebel when they go to their friend's house and eat a whole bunch of sweets. I just try and do everything in moderation. Um, They have to try everything on their plate, but they don't have to finish it if they're not hungry, but they don't get dessert if they don't finish it. So, you know, just natural consequences, right? Um, And just not imposing my fears 
on them. Uh, so just checking and making sure, oh, you know, maybe my my little boy has a really big tummy, but I let him, you know, I'm like, it's beautiful. You are beautiful. You know, you don't impose your own warped view of size on them, right? Like that's that's not something they need to deal with. Um, all you can do as a parent is prov- provide a healthy meal and provide lots of love and just show that food is a wonderful, enjoyable, enjoyable experience. Um, and sit down and eat with them. So let them see you eating and eating healthily. Um, and let them feed you sometimes because they love to do that. Well, that's, uh, that's good advice. I mean, I, I've got two granddaughters, and uh, I know that there are times when uh, they don't want to eat, and there are times when they want to eat everything that's on them, <laughs> that's put in front of them. And uh, and my my daughter doesn't uh, give them uh, a, a lot of ration of, of of anything either direction mm. because they seem to their bodies seem to know when they're hungry, don't they? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, they do. We kind of um, forget that because we do start, some kids start as early as four using food to kind of numb the pain or deal with their problems, which is sad. But up until that point, they have a very natural knowledge of of when they're full and when they're hungry. So we should try not to squelch that, just try to honor that and, and let them listen to themselves. And don't get scared if they don't eat a meal or if they eat a lot the next meal. That's that's just, they know what they're doing. But also, you're responsible for what you put on their plate, so just make sure they're healthy things that they're eating. Yeah, the one the one from every color or category or however, right. however they do yeah. it nowadays. Yeah. Exactly. I'm I'm in the red category, lots of feet, <laughs> lots of <laughs> yeah, my husband is too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, Emily, this, this has been very, very interesting conversation. I just want to make sure that we get all of what you want to have known out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if there's anything that uh, that I've missed in this process, uh, why don't you go ahead and just uh, let us know? Mm. Well, um I think we've covered a lot of it. I think the important thing is whatever your child is going through or your loved one, your spouse, if it's an eating disorder or some other form of mental illness, you can't fix it for them. You can just sit with them through it um, until it gets to a stage of, you know, life or death. But that is amazing what the body can endure. Don't freak out. Remember that what you have been doing so far obviously hasn't been working very well. So try not to go with uh, what you would naturally do. Try and ask God or, you know, people around you what they think you should be doing. Just try and show a lot of wisdom in how you deal with this situation and don't just go with your gut um, because your gut is going to be full of fear. You're gonna. You just want to save them. You want to fix them, but but they need they need something else. They need an emotional and a spiritual response. The physical will follow, but the physical isn't the first thing you should be dealing with. That's I think very good advice because there's a lot of people that it's the age old story of the woman that gets married to the man, knowing there's things that she doesn't like about the man, but she says I'll fix him, mm-hmm. and there's no fixing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 fix is, the fix isn't in so to speak it's mm-hmm. not it's not there and that's and I I think that really kind of relates to what you just said mm-hmm. uh, it, sometimes they can't be fixed unless they want to be fixed that's right 
I think that's uh, maybe the maybe that's the bottom line of the whole thing. Yeah. Well, Emily, tell us where people tell people where they can get your book, and uh, this is your opportunity for shameless self promotion. Why, <laughs> why don't you do that, and we'll kind of wrap it up. Okay. Well, my personal website is www.emilywaringa.com, and the Chasing Silhouettes website is www.chasingsilhouettes.com. Um, you can find the book anywhere that uh, books and e-books are sold pretty much uh, online. Um, uh, you can also get my new book, which is Mom in the Mirror, coming out in May, and it deals with mothers and body image and beauty and life after pregnancy. You can get that at mominthemirrorbook.com. And I'm right, I, writ the, I wrote that with Dr. Dina Cabrera, who's an eating disorder specialist. Well, very good. Uh, mm-hmm. Best of luck to you in your in your continued endeavor to stay healthy, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you you and your family. And and I also uh, uh, want to wish you best of luck with your with this book and your and your next one coming out as well. Thank you so much, Pete. Thanks for coming, being with me today. It's been very enjoyable talking to you on the phone and meeting you. Okay, bless you. Bye. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Bye now. And that has been Ms. Emily Waringa, author of Chasing Silhouettes. Uh, talking about eating disorders and uh, her battle with same and her apparent victory and continuing victory over that uh, over that dilemma that that health health issue. So we're glad that she was with us. It was all good information, as many things are here on the Boom of the Babe Show. And we thank you for listening. Remember, we are now a featured show on uh, and and one of the staff picks. Uh, this show has been one of the staff picks on the Blog Talk Radio Network, and we're very proud of that. Uh, check us out at boomerandthebabe.com. See everything else that we do in addition to it. And if you have any interest in being a guest, a guest host, hosting your own show, a sponsor, or an advertiser, you can contact us through the website information, the Twitter and Facebook information that is on blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. We invite all inquiries. Thank you very much. Have a great day, everybody. We're off to the Phoenix Open this afternoon to cover a little bit of golf here in sunny Arizona, and we're glad to be able to do that. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Take care. to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter where we tweet as Boomer and Babe and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerandthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 